0: A particularly loud clap of thunder rouses Albert from sleep. The house rumbles and the window panes rattle violently. He pulls himself up, reaches for the water glass on the nightstand and takes a long sip. Water always tastes best in the dead of night. Albert then decides to empty his bladder. He walks to the bathroom and relieves himself. Lightning illuminates the backyard for a fraction of a second. Albert nearly falls backwards as fear grips him. Did he see someone standing at the back gate? He walks to the back door, peels back the curtain, and flash. The yard's empty. Thunder rocks the house. Albert pads back to his room. It must have been his sleep-deprived brain playing tricks. Albert climbs into bed and closes his eyes. He feels his wife, Mabel, stir. Her arm drapes over him. Albert's guts twist. A damp, earthy stench creeps into his nostrils. A scream catches in his throat. Mabel's been dead for 10 years.
1: You're sleepless in another dimension. A dimension of horror, cursed to be frightened and disturbed. A journey into a terrifying land whose boundaries are inky darkness. Your next stop, the No Sleep Zone. Now open the door and brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. In the middle ground between light and shadow. I'm David Cummings, and this is the No Sleep Zone. and Jaw from Rob Thunder. They say it only happens when it's raining. And when creepy people are outside in your yard in the middle of the night. A rather enlightening tale from author Annalise Amelia Boyd. From the tale which was this episode's Cold Open, In the Dead of Night. Performed by Mick Wingert It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Well, I'm sure it is somewhere. You in your own home, feeling somewhat safe. The people who live next door or down the street. It's all so idyllic, so white picket fence, am I right? Ah, but there is darkness behind those doors. Perhaps even behind your doors. And so, as it was in the 60s, and as it is today, let's find the horror in the places least expected. We won't leave it to Beaver. We'll uncover it ourselves. Now, that's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop awaits as the horror begins. In our first tale, we meet a babysitter. And when you combine a babysitter with a horror story, you might think she's going to tell the child a creepy bedtime story. But in this tale, shared with us by author Annalise Amelia Boyd, it's the young boy she's watching who shares a creepy urban legend with her. And in horror stories, urban legends are never real, right? Performing this tale are Sarah Thomas and Ellie Hirschman. So rest easy and enjoy your night babysitting. And don't worry about the legend of the Dog Man.
2: Have you ever heard of the Dog Man?
3: I look over the top of my phone. Timothy stops his ferocious scribbling of crayons against copy paper and looks up at me with wide, slightly terrified eyes. He's been quiet for much of the evening, which struck me as odd because of all the kids I babysit, Timothy is always the most talkative. The what man?
2: The doghead man.
3: There's audible trepidation in his voice, as if the mere mention of its name may conjure it in the middle of his living room.
2: Dale and Marco told me about him
3: today at school,
2: and I... They scared you?
3: Timothy puffs out his chest a little.
2: No, I'm not scared. I just wanted to know if you know him.
3: I laugh. This isn't the first time those boys have taken advantage of Timothy's gullibility. Months before, they'd fed him a story about how they'd seen the Mothman, despite us living states away from West Virginia... And a year before that, it was UFOs and little gray aliens. This time, though, it seems Dale and Marco have gotten creative and made up their own monster instead of using existing intellectual property. No, I've never heard of any dogman. Doghead! Doghead, man. Those boys are just trying to scare you. It's just a spooky story.
2: It's not. Gregory Danner got taken by him.
3: The smile slips from my lips at the mention of the young boy's name. Gregory Danner is not a myth or legend. He's a flesh-and-blood five-year-old who'd gone missing a few days earlier. I feel my pulse quicken and my blood begin to boil. Telling silly campfire stories is one thing. All kids do it. They did when I was in school, and they will for years to come. But to bring a real-life tragedy into it in my book? is taking it a step too far. <sighs> Timothy, I pat the couch beside me. I understand that losing a classmate can be difficult. Kids try to rationalize the horrors of real life by attributing them to fictional monsters. It's hard to understand that those things don't exist and that sometimes people are the real monsters. The Dog Man isn't real. Gregory, I stopped myself short of saying Gregory wasn't taken, because nobody knows what happened to little Gregory Danner. Was he the likely victim of a stranger abduction? Yes. Was the abduction conducted by whatever the doghead man is? No. Not likely. The police are looking for Gregory. A monster didn't take Gregory. A very bad person did. Timothy has tears in his eyes.
2: But but Dale and Marco said they asked the doghead man to take Gregory because they didn't like him. They called him names like mister Pee pants just because he peed his pants one time last year. Last week, Mrs. Maple put them in a group with Gregory for arts and crafts, and they made him cry. Mrs. Maple made them pull two cards each.
3: The tears are rolling now snot bubbles in Timothy's nostrils. I pull him in for a hug. Hush now. Dale and Marco don't sound like very nice kids. (laughs) I wouldn't listen to what they say.
2: But they said they asked the doghead man to take Gregory
3: away. When did they say that?
2: Today. When they told me. I told Mrs. Maple, and that made them mad at me, so they told me that they're going to ask the doghead man to take me next.
3: I make a mental note to ask Timothy's parents if they know Dale and Marco's parents' names. My heart breaks for Timothy. He's such a bright young boy with such a big heart, and I hate to see him so upset. Nothing's going to happen to you. I'm here. You can't stop
2: him. Nobody can. That's what Dale and Marco said. They said that at midnight is when he'll come.
3: Well, I guess I'll just have to stay up all night to keep watch. I give him a pat on the back. I won't let anything happen to you. It'll be okay. No, it won't. A sudden spark of curiosity takes hold of me. Did they say how they talked to the dog man... Uh, dog head man?
2: They said he came to their window looking for a place to stay. They keep him in their treehouse and feed him scraps from the table.
3: That's a little odd. Usually, with these sorts of stories, there's some intricate set of rules that needs to be followed in order to summon the desired entity. Say their name the prescribed number of times. Go to the specified place at the specified time. Recite an incantation in some ancient tongue. The list goes on. With a little coaxing, Timothy takes his nightly bath, brushes his teeth, and changes into his pajamas. After I assure him that I'll stay up all night to prevent any dog-headed intruders, Timothy gives me a hug and goes to his room. Moments later, he reappears in the hall, carrying an aluminum baseball bat that's entirely too large for him. Here. He hands it to me.
2: Just in case the dog-head man comes.
3: I prevent myself from laughing. The doghead man must be the first creature of myth whose weakness is sporting equipment. Thanks, buddy. Now get to bed. From the time I hear Timothy's bedroom door close until about a quarter to midnight, I sit on the couch in the living room watching television. I devote little of my thoughts to the story Timothy had told me. I'd written it off as stupid, playground tall tales. Anybody else would have, too. That is, until I hear the scratching. At first, I don't think much of it. Timothy's house is old. It creaks, wood floors pop, pipes rattle and moan. But it persists, so much so that I lower the volume to my show to hear it better. It's a rhythmic, screeze, screeze. Scree. Had Timothy's family gotten a cat but neglected to tell me? Certainly not. The last thing a child would forget to share would be the addition of a new pet to the household. I stand and look about the darkened living room, scanning for anything that might be causing the sound. But the house is still. Still and quiet, save for the perpetual scratching. Mice. It must be mice. It's an old house, after all, I rationalize, as I feel the hairs on my arm begin to stand. I'm just letting that stupid story about the dog man or whatever get to me. Just to be safe, and be the dutiful babysitter I am, I decide to check on Timothy before returning to my spot on the couch. I walk down the short hallway and stop in front of his ajar door. The sound is louder than it had been in the living room. With crystal-clear clarity, I realize what the sound is. Something sharp moving against the glass. The breath catches in my throat, trapped behind the lump swelling there. My heart thrums in my ear, pounds against my ribcage. I want to run. I want to scream and run out of the house. But my thoughts return to Timothy. Stealing my nerves, I fling open the door and instantly wish I hadn't. Standing in the window just above Timothy's bed is a man wearing the bulbous head of an animal mascot. Floppy ears of matted gray felt droop down around its stupid, wide-open grin, showing off fabric teeth stained yellow. One plastic blue eye stares sightlessly forward. The other is missing, leaving a stuffing-filled hole in its absence. His eyes, his real eyes, stare through torn black mesh at the back of its throat, wide and wild. The animal head is all he's wearing. His skin is pale, almost white in the moonlight, ribs exposed and stomach distended. The nudity, though, isn't what terrifies me. It's what he's holding in his long, spindly fingers. A kitchen knife. And he's dragging it up and down, up and down the glass. I find my voice. Timothy! The boy sleepily looks up. Jesse? He turns, sees the doghead man, and screams. <gasps> ah! Get into the bathroom and lock the door! But Timothy's already in motion, out of bed and careening down the hall. I follow him, but not into the bathroom. I grab the bat that I'd leaned against the back of the couch and start for the door. Adrenaline pumps thick through my veins as I throw the front door open. I round the corner of the house to see the naked man in the mascot head still by the window. Hey, you! The dog head swivels dumbly towards me, flopping to the side the same way a confused animal would. He growls and begins to bark. You! I swing the bat as though preparing to hit a home run, except I wouldn't be knocking a ball out of a stadium. I'd be knocking this pervert's brain clean out of his skull. The man drops the knife and runs for the tree line, buck naked. I give chase, but only until his scrawny form is swallowed up by the dark of the woods. By the time I circle back to the front of the house... I can hear sirens. When the police arrive, I tell them the story as told to me by Timothy. I give them the names of the boys who told him about the doghead man. They try to get the last names out of Timothy, but he can't remember. The knife's collected as evidence. To be dusted for latent prints, I'm told. Timothy's parents are contacted, and they arrive hours later. Only then do I leave for my own home, but I do not go to sleep. I wait for a call from the police. I wait for closure. I wait for assurance that the man in the mascot head has been found. Hours pass and my phone finally chimes. The police find the home address of the twin boys, Dale and Marco, but not the boys themselves. A search of the treehouse in their backyard reveals a collection of old and half-eaten cans of food and Tupperware of leftovers, no doubt stolen from the boys' fridge. Most startlingly, they find Gregory Danner's backpack. The fingerprints don't come back to any known offender, but those prints have been found at the scene of several other unsolved child abductions in the area. They don't tell me anything else. It's an ongoing investigation, they say. I don't know who was wearing the mascot head, where he came from, or where he went. I don't know why he took Dale and Marco along with him. I'm told Timothy's parents are looking to sell their home, just in case the doghead man makes his return. Something tells me it'll be a quick closing.
1: When a new family moves into the neighborhood, they're usually welcomed into the community. But if they seem a bit odd and don't fit in well, it's easy for the locals to start making assumptions about them. Like in this tale, shared with us by author Thomas Diaz, we meet two teen siblings who start spying on the new family, and they find the family's behavior more and more disturbing. Performing this tale are Kyle Akers, Nicole Goodnight, Jeff Clement, Dan Zapula, and Mike Delgadio. So, why not take them over a pie, welcome them to the area? How bad could it be to meet the Bickles?
4: I like small towns. I liked living in the one I grew up in. It was quiet, peaceful, and I knew all my neighbors. i just finished high school, and my graduating class literally had 11 people in it. Last month we gave our final performance of Clue. I was Colonel Mustard. Like I said, I liked it there. That was until they came, the Bickles. On one Saturday morning five months ago, they drove up to the empty house down the street and started unloading their stuff. They were completely unpacked by lunch. New neighbors were a big deal in our little community, but I might not have paid so much attention to them at the start if their appearances weren't so odd. They dressed to match in outfits straight out of the 50s, all pastel and wholesome. It was like looking at an old sitcom, only in 8K resolution. They all moved weird, too. Always walking in this creepy, synchronized kind of way. Their names were Tom and Martha Bickle. Accompanying them were their teenage twins, who were strangely also named Tom and Martha Bickle. At first, they seemed friendly enough, smiling at everyone with wide joker grins. They waved a lot in greeting, their fingers cupped, hands twisting back and forth like they were rotating around a screw on the wrist. In the mornings, they would pack up their minivan with multiple stacks of dishes covered in tinfoil, returning sometime late in the evening. This went on for months. They kept to the same schedule, seven days a week, without any breaks. The lights in the house stayed on all night as if all they did was cook. A part of me wondered if they ever slept. Sometimes, other people in the same sort of clothes would show up, load their vehicles with dishes, and leave, never to be seen again. Shane? Shane? Hmm?
0: Do you think they own
3: a catering company?
4: I was only a year older than my sister Zoe, and we were close. She was my main co-conspirator and scrounging up gossip about the people around us. We just found out yesterday that our neighbor Paul was secretly dating Miss Lopez, our high school principal. It's possible. Maybe they own some kind of classic 50s-themed food service? Like burgers and malts? She nodded. I'd buy it. Then, two weeks ago the Bickles' routine changed. Instead of leaving for 12 hours a day, they began going from house to house, knocking on all the neighbors' doors, introducing themselves and handing out baked dishes. They did this again and again, sometime even visiting the same house twice a day. By midway through the week, I knew that, based on everywhere they'd visited so far, they'd be dropping by our place within a few days. The day before everything went wrong... All four of them were out doing the walk they do along the sidewalk. The mom, Mama Martha, as I call her, held a picnic basket in her hand. They made their way to the Hudson's house, which was directly across the street from us.
3: Do you think they're robots?
4: We were watching them from our living room window, ducked down, barely peeking at them from underneath the blinds. As a precaution, I turned off all the lights in the house. Both of us were bathed in shadows. Hmm, too high tech. I say, bugged people.
3: Ooh, that's a good one. The mother's the queen, and the others are the drones.
4: That's all I can think of. You got something better? Aliens. Nice.
3: Duck. They're leaving the Hudsons.
4: We both did. Stooping down low beneath the window, we waited there with bated breath, wondering if they had passed yet. As we looked at each other, a smile broke out across my face, and she flashed me a matching grin. We both started giggling. <laughs>
5: Do you think they saw us?
4: No idea. Let's check and see if they're gone. Resting our hands on the windowsill, we slowly raised our heads until we could just barely peer out of the bottom of the window. I let my gaze roam until I saw them. With the picnic basket gone, they seemed to be headed towards the Hudson's next-door neighbor, Miss Silva. She was a sweet, older lady who had a pet chihuahua. It was an adorable little dog who hardly ever barked. They walked on the sidewalk in single file, their movements perfectly in sync. Watching them was so fascinating. It made me feel like I was watching a lion give its prey that predatory look right before it pounced. I felt myself craning up closer to the glass. And in that moment, they all froze. It was as if someone had hit pause on them. Four seconds passed. Then, in unison, all their heads snapped in our direction. Instinct told me to jerk myself down, but Zoe's hand caught my arm. Stay still. They went on, staring our way. Even though they should have been seeing nothing but an empty, unlit house, each had this odd, blank expression on their face. From this distance, I couldn't tell if they were blinking or not. It sure appeared as if they weren't. Papa Tom cocked his head. The seconds ticked by. None of us moved. It was like a standoff. Everything stiff and still. Until our next-door neighbor, Paul, broke it by driving up in his Jeep and parking in his driveway. He called to Tom as he stepped out of the vehicle.
6: Tom, how are you doing, man? You guys serving up anything delicious today?
4: Papa Tom didn't turn. He smiled, though, and I could see the white flash of his teeth all the way across the street.
6: Yes, apple pie. Would you like some? Oh, man, that sounds fantastic. Is it fresh?
4: Papa Tom's head swiveled in the direction of Miss Silva's place. He started to walk on in that creepy, bickle way each movement weirdly precise and distinct. In the same instant, Mama Martha and Little Martha separated from Paul, heading toward their house. That just left their son, Little Tom, though he wasn't exactly little. I'd say he was about my age. Just like his father, he was expressionless, his face blank and passive.
0: What are you doing there, sport?
2: Waiting for my friends. They live... there...
4: He lifted a finger and pointed to our house. More precisely, to our living room window. My mouth went dry. Chills ran down my arms. The lights were out, I reminded myself. He couldn't see us in the dark. Paul knitted his brow.
6: I don't think they're home there, buddy. Maybe you can come back later?
4: He patted little Tom on the back. Little Tom didn't reply or even look at him. But after a moment, he shifted to his left and went home. Zoe and I stayed perfectly still for a few minutes longer, watching the empty street.
3: Robots. Definitely robots.
4: Or something worse, I thought. The following morning, a part of me wanted to thank Paul for what he had done. I mean, I know he didn't exactly do anything, but for some reason, I felt like I owed him. I'd already planned on heading over that morning anyway, because Paul let me help wash his Jeep every Saturday. That and I wanted to return this book my dad had borrowed. We'd had it for a couple months now. After grabbing Paul's copy of The Road, I made my way over to the kitchen and found Zoe sitting at the table with a bowl of cereal in front of her. She was glued to her phone, typing. Who are you texting?
3: Faith. I'm asking her if she ate any of that food the Bickles brought over yesterday.
4: Faith was the Hudson's daughter. She and Zoe were in the same grade. Let me know what she says. I opened the front door. My eyes dropped to the porch just before I stepped out. Sitting there was a cheesecake. On top of it was a note that read, I see you, Tom Bickle. Something caught in my throat and a long shiver ran down my spine. When I was able to breathe again, I called to Zoe. What is it? She came hurrying over to me, and then she followed my eyeline.
0: Holy shit!
4: Um, yep. (laughs) I'm going to Paul's. I needed to step away for a minute take a few deep breaths, let the cool breeze clear my head. As I walked next door, I gave the Bickles' home a sidelong glance and noticed that their minivan was missing. I'd guessed they had gone back to doing their deliveries to whomever. Seeing them gone set me at ease. As long as they were absent for the time being, I was happy. Then I looked back at Paul's house, and my blood froze. His front door was wide open. I knew he was home because his Jeep was there. He loved that thing. Even called it the Black Panther, with its big-ass tires, missing doors, and mounted floodlights. He never went anywhere without it. It sat idle in the driveway. I hurried into his living room. Paul? Paul, you here? Empty. I moved into the kitchen. Paul! Everything was oddly clean and smelled of bleach. It felt sterile, like a hospital ward. What made it even weirder was... Resting on his dining room table was a half-eaten apple pie. Something about it caused every hair on my body to stand on end. It looked perfectly normal, no maggots or anything that should have been disturbing. But it completely contrasted with the sanitized environment. This must have been left here on purpose, but why? Maybe it was my imagination, but just looking at that apple pie overwhelmed me with a sense of eeriness. I actually wanted to back away from it. It felt like there was a malevolent presence hanging over it, daring me to approach. I slipped my phone out of my pocket and dialed 911. Twenty minutes after I finished explaining that a family friend had gone missing, the cops arrived. I gave them another statement. When asked what I was doing there, I told them the truth. That Paul and I had an appointment that morning to wash his Jeep. They told me they'd take it from here and had me vacate the premises. As I was leaving, it occurred to me that Papa Tom Bickle had also been delivering food to Miss Silva's house. On a hunch, I decided to pay her a visit, too. As soon as I got there, unease started to fester in the pit of my gut. What was next? I knocked on the door. No answer. Miss Silva's Toyota Camry was parked in her driveway, just as Paul's Jeep had been parked in his. On top of that, I knew she was both disabled and retired. She never left her house. Feeling my anxiety rise, I pounded on her door and waited. After about five minutes of me knocking as loudly as I could... I ventured over to the window and peered inside. The TV was turned off and the living room was empty. I made my way to the backyard and found her back door unlocked. I let myself in. The moment I stepped inside, I noticed that strong bleach smell. It was even stronger here. More fresh, if you can say that about bleach. Like the cleaning had been done recently. As I wandered through rooms, I realized that the entire house was spotless. Even her dog was missing. On the kitchen counter, there sat a chicken casserole dish, minus one serving. I made my way back over to the cops and once again explained what I'd found. When they asked why i decided to go over there, I told them that I mowed her lawn every Sunday afternoon, which was true. They told me they'd follow up with me after they visited Mrs. Silva's house. Zoe started asking me questions as soon as I got home. Why are the cops outside? Paul's missing. And Miss Silva. What did Faith say the Bickles gave them yesterday?
3: Wait, Paul's missing? And meatloaf, why? Did they eat it? She said they were going to save it for
5: today. Why?
4: Tell her not to eat it. What? I don't know. A feeling? With this intense look on her face, Zoe thumbed a text message to Faith. Her phone vibrated a second later. Her eyes widened upon reading it. Too late. Shit. Okay, uh, you should talk to her on the phone tonight. Just to make sure.
3: Just to make sure of what?
4: Look, Paul's missing, and now Miss Silva... And the only connection is that the creepy-ass Bickles gave them food. Does it make sense? Hell no. But if you don't want her to end up missing too, just do it, okay? Zoe swallowed, visibly shaken. Fine. That night, I waited by the window. In my hand, I had a pair of old binoculars that my dad had bought me for birdwatching. Since the town was so small, there wasn't much to do. As for my plan, I didn't really have one. All I knew was that I had my trusty old bat waiting next to the front door. My dad strolled into the living room.
1: You, I'm heading to work. Dinner is on the counter.
4: Dad was a nurse who worked the night shift. The Bickles didn't give it to you, did they?
1: Huh? The Bickles? Uh,
4: no. Got it from Debbie. Debbie was our next-door neighbor. Dad often got food from her, but I never felt like it was fresh.
1: It's pretty good. I gave her twenty bucks for it. What is it? Um, Bangers and mash, I think is what she said. It's some sort of British dish, with sausage and mashed potatoes tubbered in gravy.
4: I bought it. Debbie, otherwise known as Miss Davies, was British. Okay. Thanks, Dad.
1: Love you, kid. Hey, eat, okay? Your sister's already eating in her room.
4: I will. Have a good evening. After he left, I totally forgot about the food, and returned my attention to the Hudson's house. So far, it was clear. Every so often, I squinted over the Bickle's. After I looked over a few times, I realized something was different. Though their porch light was on, all the other lights in their house were off. Where were they? I glanced down at my watch. It was 11.15pm. I took a deep breath and pressed the binoculars back to my face. There was a stir of movement behind a window at the Hudson's. My heart rate picked up. Behind me, I heard the sound of rushing feet, and then Zoe slammed into the room, eyes wide and face pale.
0: Shane, the hut's something
4: bad. I was talking to Faith on the phone and then she stopped talking and started screaming something's happening over there. Damn it. I was up, heading toward the front door. Grabbing the bat, I flung the door open and found little Tom waiting for me. Scared out of my mind, I took a swing at him. He raised a hand and caught the bat without even blinking or taking his eyes off my face. With a solid yank, he ripped it out of my hands and hurled it away. It went skittering uselessly across the floor. Before I could react, his hand snapped to my throat. He pushed forward with unbelievable strength, my feet backpedaling, barely keeping up as he crossed the threshold in my living room. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw little Martha. She had a limp Zoe slung over one shoulder and was advancing toward the back door. Panic surged in my chest. I kicked out at little Tom. If he felt it, there was no reaction. Instead, he slapped me across the face. The blow was so hard, white flashed across my vision, my strength quickly fading. He backhanded me. A tooth loosened. Blood seeped into my mouth. I was only half aware of him dragging me back through the house, but I felt him pause in the kitchen, and the shing of a blade being drawn echoed across the room. He had pulled a butcher knife from the block on the counter. He didn't use it right away. Instead, he forced me all the way back to my own room. There... He opened my closet door and pinned me against the wall inside. For the first time, I saw raw emotion in his eyes. Hunger. His lip was twisted in a sneer. His tongue edging out of his mouth. Gazing into my eyes, he pressed the tip of the knife into my forehead. He twirled the pommel with his fingers, the point rotating, gently drilling into my skin. He barely applied any pressure, doing just enough to keep the point there as it turned. It stung, breaking my skin, but I was too scared to make noise. Or maybe I did, and just couldn't hear myself. Tears swam down my cheeks. I could have been whimpering. It was hard to breathe, around the panic and the pain. And as I fought for air, my mouth lolled open. His gaze slipped down to my bloodied teeth. He breathed out, an odd sound reminding me of a growling stomach. With the knife still on my forehead, he ran his tongue along his bottom lip. He brought his nose to my belly button and sniffed his way all the way up to my neck. Then he licked my lips. He closed his eyes, savoring the taste. His grip on my throat did not loosen.
2: You didn't eat the food. It's a shame. I would have loved to have had you.
4: I wouldn't have known what to say to that, even if I could make myself speak. His mouth pulled to the side in a crooked smile.
2: I would hide if I were you. Bad things happen to people who don't.
4: At that, he let go, and my legs gave out.
2: Goodbye, Shane. I hope to see you again. I'll leave you something to eat.
4: Gently, he closed my closet door, sealing me in, and I let it all go. The sobs convulsing out of my body in waves. I'd never been so scared in my life. I cried and cried until there was nothing left and woke up hours later without even remembering passing out. I staggered out of my closet and made my unsteady way through the house. Zoe? Dad? It was empty. The bleach smell was there. And everything had been thoroughly cleaned. In the kitchen, sitting on the counter, was a quiche. Next to it was a note that read, Please eat. I hope to see you again. Tom Bickle I grabbed my phone and tried calling them. No answer. The 911. Same thing. Nobody freaking answered. (laughs) Then I went through my entire contact list, texting and calling. Same results. Peeking out the window, I saw there was no movement. The Bickles' minivan was gone. Knowing this gave me enough confidence to leave the house and try the neighbors, minus Paul and Miss Silva. But it was too late. Every home I checked was empty. Clean. The next thing I knew, I was in my dad's car driving. I had to move, to search. It was the only thing that kept me sane, kept me from crying out in pain that Zoe and Dad might be gone. They couldn't be. I wouldn't believe it. So I've been moving, searching. I've driven a hundred miles from home, gone from town to town for the past week. Every town is as empty as mine is. People are nowhere to be found. Clean houses, just plates of food left behind. There's literally nobody left. Nothing. Just me. And all the supermarkets have been cleared out. I'm so hungry. Tomorrow, I'll try to make it to 200 miles. Maybe if I get far enough, the food won't be contaminated. Maybe if I just have a bite here and there, it won't be enough to be dangerous. Just a taste. I'm sure it'll be okay. Okay.
1: When you're married, it can be a wonderful thing having someone to share your love and joys with. And conversely, it can be horrible to discover an unfaithful partner. That's what we learn in this tale, shared with us by author Joseph Davis. When a man discovers his wife is cheating on him, he knows he must confront her to find out every awful detail. Performing this tale are Graham Rowett and Kristen DiMercurio. So try not to jump to conclusions. Talk to your partner and learn the truth before you assume you're dealing with the affair.
6: A week ago, I discovered that my wife was having an affair with her co-worker, Anson. According to their texts, the nights that she was staying at the office to catch up on work were actually the nights that they'd spend screwing each other and laughing at how much of a moron I was. She covered up her tracks pretty well. But one night she came home late, and when I greeted her at the door, I noticed a faint scent of aftershave hovering in the air around her neck. After a few days of deciding whether I was onto something or just being paranoid, I went through her phone and found the answers that I needed. Chloe and I shared two years of a good marriage and four of a bad one, so I wasn't exactly shocked at the discovery. That being said, I still felt obligated to kick Anson's teeth in. In this day and age, if someone wants to find you, it's only a matter of time. An afternoon of research and a little subterfuge on the phone with Chloe's co-workers, and I found myself standing outside of Anson's apartment door. It was late, and the halls were quiet. Before knocking, I placed my ear against the door and listened to make sure that he was inside. It was noisy in there. It sounded like he was unwrapping plastic and using power tools to build something. New furniture, I assumed. I was surprised that no one had banged on his door to complain, but I gladly accepted the role and pounded my fist in groups of three. Eventually, I stopped knocking to listen again. The apartment had turned silent. Open up, fucker! I banged until an old lady from across the hall cracked her door open and stared at me with silent disgust. I gave up and went home. Later that night, I sat at our dining room table, waiting for Chloe to return from an overnight business trip. I couldn't stand her face anymore, but I figured I could catch her in the lie and get her to admit what she had done if I pounced on her as soon as she walked in the door. At around 1 a.m., she strolled in with a glowing smile and a bottle of wine in her hand. Where have you been? I asked, already knowing the answer. What do you mean, babe? Don't you
3: remember? I was on a business trip in Chicago.
6: I couldn't believe that she was lying to my face. The flight attendant gave you a complimentary wine bottle to take home? She looked down at the red bottle in her hand and scoffed. (sighs) Ugh.
3: I bought it at the airport on the way out. It's for us to share tonight, dum-dum. My bags are still out front. Can you grab them while I run upstairs to change really quick?
6: I nodded in silence and reluctantly stepped outside to pick up her two oversized suitcases. Typical of Chloe for a 24-hour trip. I threw them down the basement steps, shut the door, and listened to them tumble down the stairs behind me. Then we had wine. She playfully raised an eyebrow. Glass in hand.
5: So? Did you miss me?
6: You were only gone for a day, Chloe. I let the words hang in the air as I sipped the Pinot Noir. The acrid flavor stung more than the awkward silence. How much did you pay for this crap, anyway? Tastes like rat poison. Her eyes narrowed, but her smile lingered.
5: I didn't exactly
3: splurge, if that's what you're asking. When were you going to ask me about Anson?
6: My heart jumped. I didn't expect her to bring him up before I did. Well? Are you fucking him?
5: Nah. He's a friend.
6: And I'm supposed to believe that you were actually just on an overnight business trip? A facetious frown creeped over her face.
3: If you don't believe me, just ask him yourself. He's in the basement.
6: I jumped out of my chair, angry, not understanding what she'd meant in that moment. Chloe pulled a white tablet out of her pocket and swallowed it down with one final gulp of her wine. She watched me storm over to our basement door. Anson was waiting for me. In spirit, anyway. One of the suitcases sat ripped open at the bottom of the stairs, his head peeking out the side. The staircase was splattered with flecks of blood that had leaked out of his plastic-wrapped appendages.
3: He wasn't my first, you know.
6: She smiled... ...and put her phone to her ear. I stood motionless, unable to process what was happening. She screamed to the operator on the other end of the line that her husband was trying to kill her. Later, I'd figure out that the white tablet she took contained flunitrazepam... ...A.K.A. the frat boy drug. I watched her stumble her way over to the table and grab the wine bottle firmly by the neck... ...before smashing herself in the head with it and falling to the floor... A fountain of blood ran down her face, and she laughed hysterically.
1: (laughs) You
2: should have stayed out of my business.
6: Those were the last words she ever said to me. Soon after, the red and blue lights showed up, and our front door was kicked in. The police were not kind to me. Anson's chopped-up body and the old lady who saw me banging on his apartment door were enough to put me away for a long time. Chloe's injuries and her toxicology report were just icing on the cake. The jury never gave me a chance, and the judge was not shy about my sentencing. Every appeal I've requested thus far has been denied. Most nights, I stare at the chipped ceiling of my cell, wondering what Chloe is up to. I imagine her finally slipping up, the police busting down her door while she's cutting her next victim into travel-sized chunks. If that happened, the court would have to revisit my case and set me free. No doubt about it. Will she ever make a mistake? What if she stops killing for a few months, or even a few years? What if she never kills again? All I can do now is wait.
1: Living in a neighborhood can be so much better if each of the residents takes pride in and works hard to maintain their property. That's why some people choose to live in a neighborhood with an HOA, a homeowners association. And in this tale, shared with us by author Jay Christopher, we meet an HOA president who shares with us the ups and downs of dealing with people who aren't keen to always follow the rules. So join me as I share this tale with you. I'm sure you'll start to empathize with people like this man in his difficult role as he deals with the burden of leadership. I live in a very nice neighborhood. Some people hear the words gated community and immediately assume identical cookie-cutter McMansions lining the block, and perfectly manicured lawns, and, well, frankly, in this case, the assumption is wholly accurate. It's a beautiful neighborhood full of beautifully maintained houses that everyone who resides in works very hard to obtain. A more idyllic site I would openly challenge you to find. If one needed a picture of the term, sheer perfection, it could only be truly depicted by where I live. Yes, it's a beautiful neighborhood, and do you know who that's down to? It's down to me. It's a dirty job, being head of the homeowners association, but someone has to do it. And frankly, I'm glad it's me. Unanimously elected five years running, and I can't say I blame the other residents. They know I'm the best one suited for the job. No one else has the wherewithal to deal with the things I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Nor would they handle it with the care and precision I do. And this isn't arrogance, it's merely fact. And they all know it. I keep this neighborhood running like a well-oiled machine. Every little detail meticulously looked after. All ticking away like the gears of a perfectly set Swiss watch. It's not a nice neighborhood by chance or accident. It takes effort, real effort. And someone must take the responsibility of making sure it stays that way. Now, I'd be lying if I said my position has made me particularly popular amongst the residents of the community. I can't say I don't sympathize with them. No one really likes authority, do they? I understand that no one likes to be told what to do with their own property. That they have to trim their hedges to a regulation size and shape, which is what is best for uniformity and aesthetics, of course. Or that the mailbox they've chosen to install, without even attempting to seek the proper clearance for it beforehand, needs to be replaced with a different model. I fully understand how frustrating it must be to have someone dictating the acceptable amount and placement of holiday decorations. I mean, who wants to see gaudy or badly placed decorations on a day one should be happy and celebratory? I can only imagine how they must scoff at the seeming audacity to be levied with fines thereafter, should they refuse to comply with the rules. I fully understand and embrace their feelings, I do. But, as stated, someone has to be responsible for keeping this neighborhood in pristine condition. They're all happy to live here, but no one wants to take on the responsibility of maintaining order. Really, they should be thanking me for all that I do. The amount of effort and time I put in on a day-to-day basis just to make this a decent community in which to live. (sighs) Besides, I'm not a monster. When the rules are followed to the letter, as they should be, I do my best to show my appreciation and reward them. It's not all finger wagging and admonishments, there are good things as well. We have had many a monthly community event, fully organized by yours truly, no assistance desired or required, that they have gotten to enjoy. Why, just in the last six months, I've organized the Christmas White Elephant Exchange, the New Year's Block Party, the Valentine's Day Love Bazaar, the St. Patrick's Day Potluck, the Easter Egg Hunt, the Mother's Day Poetry Reading, (laughs) all sorted and organized and overseen by me, and I was happy to do it. I try to be just as much the generous good guy as the perceived bad guy. But no one ever seems to truly appreciate my efforts. There are still those that seem to think it's okay, no matter what I do, to flout the rules. My mother always used to say, if you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. And I'm loath to admit that she was absolutely correct. Take this very moment, for example, as I'm attempting to organize the annual 4th of July barbecue. Oh goodness, it's such a lovely event. We set up a nice big table in the cul-de-sac. All the men get to show off their grilling skills, and the ladies their aptitude at side dishes. There are appropriately tasteful yet patriotic decorations set up, and I create fun, historically educational games for the children. I even lead a pre-dinner saying of the Pledge of Allegiance for everyone. (laughs) Oh, it's a wonderful time for one and all. I make sure of it. We all get to come together as a community to celebrate our freedoms and privilege. The privilege to live in such a wonderful community, in such a wonderful country. I look forward to it every year. I truly think it may be my favorite of the yearly events. This year, however, I'm having a hell of a time focusing on my organizing duties, all because Mr. Racine, over in number 419, has yet again ignored the flyers that I'd spent an entire afternoon carefully typing, printing, and distributing to the residents about acceptable decorations. The flyers clearly stated that everyone is allowed a single American flag to be displayed on their lawns. No larger than 3 feet by 5 feet on a 20-foot pole. That is the standard for a residential display flag. Everyone knows that. And even if you don't, the most casual visit to Google will confirm that information. Mr. Racine should know that. He, of all people especially, should know that, having served... Just because he's a veteran, which he's yelled at various neighbors many times at volume when they've tried to warn him of the potential consequences of his actions in the past, he seems to think he's allowed some level of extra special privilege. Now, don't get me wrong, I wholeheartedly and absolutely support our troops, especially at this time of year. But you would think that if anyone would understand the necessity of rules and order and structure, it would be him. It's not like I made it difficult for him. The flyers even contain the information for a company that would come and install the pole for him, and the exact spot that is the appropriate chosen location. Absolutely no impediment to just doing what is requested should have been present in any of this. But what has he done? Certainly not what was asked of him, oh no, not by a long shot. I can see it from my kitchen window as we speak. Clearly a 5 foot by 8 foot flag on a 25 foot pole. I can clearly see it waving higher than the flags on either side of his home, and it is glaringly obviously too large. And if that weren't bad enough, it's in completely the wrong spot." I clearly specified exactly three feet in front of the house and two feet away from the walkway. Everyone got the same flyer, the same specifications. Everyone else followed them to the letter. Oh, but oh no, 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 not Colonel Racine. I know, I just know he did it on purpose, just to vex me. Oh, the nerve, the sheer nerve... It's not as though there's no reason for the rule. His flag and flagpole are completely out of place. Too tall, too big, misaligned. Oh, they completely destroy the sight line down the entire left side of the block. It's an eyesore, a complete and total eyesore. It is infuriating. Honestly, I don't know what his problem is. This is the third time he's blatantly disregarded the regulations. Ugh, what a bother. What an absolute annoyance. Am I not busy enough? Is is that what he thinks? Must there be one more thing, one more thing to do on my never-decreasing lists of things to do? Now I'm forced to levy a fine. Again. And a heftier one than last time. I mean, what else can I do? This is his third infraction. Third! (laughs) Honestly, I really think he should have learned by now. Rules are rules. HOA guidelines are HOA guidelines. And I'll have to hire someone to come and replace the flag and the pole as well. How frustratingly annoying. More time out of my day. More expense out of my pocket on top of everything else. I really don't know what I've done to deserve having to constantly put up with this. Honestly, he's just such a stubborn man. Did they allow such open defiance in the military? <laughs> Surely not. But here, oh, he treats this neighborhood like a free for all. He just doesn't seem to want to learn his lesson. Oh, you'd think he would. I thought he understood the rules after I find him at Christmas. Now, I clearly told everyone that there were to be no wreaths hung that were larger than one and a half feet in diameter. I could see it. I could see it as it hung from his door, even from across the street. Did he really think I wouldn't notice? That I wouldn't measure to be sure? I was as polite as I could be when I knocked on his door and calmly explained the rules to him and that it had to come down immediately or there would be a fine and he would have to pay it. And what did he do? (laughs) He started shouting at me. Can you believe that? Shouting about how he... Paid his HOA fees, and how it was his fucking house, and how he didn't have to put up with all my nitpicky bullshit. Oh, rude. Extremely rude. I wasn't being rude. I stood there calmly and took his abuse and gently reminded him that there were fines for violations. And do you know what he did? (laughs) He laughed. Full in my face, he laughed and gave me the finger, told me to get the fuck off his property. Oh, the gall. <sighs> but I did as he asked. After I collected the fine, of course. He wasn't laughing quite so hard after the hammer connected with his face and his teeth went flying. Not quite so much foul language coming from him as he held his bloody jaw and fell to his knees. No, sir and he didn't even have the decency to thank me for taking such a small fine afterward. I didn't even take all of the teeth, just the ones that clattered across his front porch. I thought that was a nice gesture on my part, for a first infraction, despite his poor attitude. But I tried to be optimistic. I tried to believe there wouldn't be any more problems after that. Most people learn after the first fine. Did he, though? (laughs) Ha! Clearly not, as I had to visit him yet again. His left eye socket has only just healed, you know, after the second fine I took when he put down that ghastly leprechaun lawn ornament, or whatever it was, in March. Why he even did that, I'll never know. The flyers clearly stated, no tasteless lawn decorations. And I'm sorry, but that thing was just hideous. He said something about it being a family heirloom, the last remnant of his late grandmother, that she, she made it or some such. Well, I, I don't know. I wasn't listening when I smashed it. And if I'm being honest, he's absolutely impossible to understand now without the teeth and with the way his jaw healed all crooked like that. Well, I did manage to make out something about how I, I can't do this to people. And another assertion that he's a veteran, as if I'd somehow forgotten. And it wasn't right. And that he was going to alert the authorities. Alert the authorities. He actually said that. It just goes to show how little he pays attention to anyone but himself. Maybe if he did like I did and spent time getting to know his neighbors, finding out who they are, as opposed to sneering at them from his driveway as he did, he would know that the chief of police lives two doors down from me on the left. Maybe if he were more involved in the goings-on of the community, he would be aware, as everyone else was, that the chief and I are extremely close. He is my uncle, after all. Helped me set up the entire HOA and its guidelines in the first place. Not that it really even matters, though. Another violation, another fine. Rules are rules. And again, did he thank me for being so kind as to ask him which of his eyes he preferred to keep? No, no he didn't. He just blubbered and wailed as I plucked it out and crushed it between my fingers. I ruined a perfectly good pair of shoes that day. When he pitched forward and landed at my feet, screaming and wailing as his empty eye socket gushed, they were completely soaked in his blood. I had to just throw them away when I got home. Did I ask for reimbursement? I did not. Did I wail and whine and cry about having to get rid of them now? No, I completely ate the cost of those shoes, which were not inexpensive, by the way. And still, somehow, I'm the villain of the piece. I'm the one that is continually, petulantly disobeyed by 'er ne'er-do-wells like Mr. Racine and... Frankly, I think I blame myself. I was far too lenient and kind-hearted with him, even after his repeated disrespect. No, no, this time I'll have to do something far more severe. Something that will not only definitely get his attention, but possibly put a stop to this wanton disregard for the rules. Something that will really drive the point home. Maybe an arm, or perhaps a leg... Uh, personally, I'm thinking a leg would be best. Uh, that would really make a statement. Oh yes, yes, a leg would be perfect. I can recycle the meat for the barbecue. I have been trying to push through that green initiative amongst the residents, lowering our carbon footprint and all, creating less waste, pushing everyone toward recycling. Ah, uh, how better to lead by example than this? Two birds, one stone. <laughs> A meat is so expensive, after all, and Mr. Racine has taken rather good care of himself. I'm sure it wouldn't be too fatty or anything. Yes, yes, this is a fantastic idea. Oh, this has put a smile back on my face, to be sure. I'm almost not upset that I have to deal with this anymore. It's actually going to save me a bit of time in the long run. Ah, I know what I'll do... I'll get that lovely gay couple in number 427 to hold him down for me. I do like them. A nice strapping pair of lads. I'm sure the two of them can keep him steady while I collect the fine. Why, I bet they'll even be glad to help. They understand the rules. They at least learn their lesson after the first fine, when I took the one's ears. I didn't necessarily want to, nor did I take any pleasure in it, honestly. I'm not remotely homophobic, I swear. I have a lesbian cousin. I simply wish they would have at least tried to clear that rainbow flag with me last year, that's all. I understand it was Pride Month, and I fully support that. All residents are equal and respected, but the order of the neighborhood must be maintained. If only they had simply just asked first, I would have gladly let them place one of those nice, tasteful little stickers you can get in the bookshops downtown in the corner of their front window. A perfectly tasteful and guideline-abiding declaration of their pride. Like I said, I'm not a monster. Anyway, I best go call in on them and then go and collect Mr. Racine's fine. There just aren't enough hours in the day, it seems, sometimes, and I still have so much to do before the barbecue. I still have to get the fireworks and dig the coolers out of the garage. Oh, oh, and I have to pay a visit to the Millers in number 415, yes, about keeping aware of the noise pollution ordinances. Honestly, they simply must keep that baby of theirs quiet after 8pm, or I'll have to collect another fine as I did with their first child. Ugh, that horrid little boy. Always vandalizing the sidewalks with his garish chalk graffiti. It'll wash away in the rain, they said. Yes, and until then, it'll be there, baking in the sun, defacing the pavement like the tagging of an inner-city delinquent and making the neighborhood look like an unsightly mess. Uh, I made sure he paid for it, though. If anything, I think it helped, really. Surely the Millers will now pay much more attention to teaching their other child a proper lesson in respect and personal responsibility. His infraction, his fine. Rules are rules, after all. Everyone must follow the rules, even the children. It's, well, yes, it's unfortunate he couldn't recover from his fine, but consequences are the natural outcome of disregard, as my mother used to say. Hopefully a quick word from me today might motivate them to nip this problem in the bud before things turn... unfortunate again. Oh, and I have to ask Janine about her apple pie recipe while I'm there. Oh, It was positively divine at last year's barbecue, and I simply must know what she does with it. <sighs> so much to do. So many things to take care of. Busy, busy, busy. My work is never done. <sighs> Still, it's worth it to live in such a nice neighborhood. No matter where you live, you might find yourself needing to deal with various pests who make their way into your home. All manner of vermin and insects can be annoying to deal with. But in this tale, shared with us by author Ryan Peacock, we meet a woman who suffers from a severe hatred of one of the most common and mostly harmless pests. Performing this tale are Mary Murphy and Graham Rowett. So let's discover why this woman insists on adamantly proclaiming, There is nothing in this world more disgusting than the common housefly.
7: Do you know what the most annoying sound in the world is? It's the sound a fly makes when it buzzes past your head. I fucking hate flies more than anything. Of all the creatures on this miserable planet of ours, they are easily the most disgusting. They ruin every outdoor meal. They trap themselves in your home and are too stupid to leave. They leave their filthy germs all over everything they touch. And on top of that, they're almost fucking impossible to kill. They can see you in every direction and react faster than you can. Then, when you think you've killed it, you find out that it laid eggs, and you'll have more of those bastards swarming around you within a week or so. Do you know that it takes about 24 hours for maggot eggs to hatch? 24 hours. And those disgusting things are swarming all over your fucking garbage. From then, it's only a few days until they're ready to pupate, and a few days later until they're fully grown. That's a pretty goddamn fast life cycle, if you ask me. Too fast. Hell, even the way they eat is disgusting. They spit their digestive juices onto food and suck it back up. Basically, they puke all over it and then drink their own puke. Just the thought of it makes me physically sick. There is nothing in this world more disgusting than the common house fly. And it is for that reason that i kill them on sight. Ever since I was a little kid, I've taken more delight than I should in killing them. I used to be really good at it. They'd fly towards the glass of the back window, and I'd crush them with a newspaper or fry them with a bug zapper. Nowadays, I'm not as fast as I was when I was a kid, and I don't see as many of them. But I still don't screw around with them. When the hot weather hits, I have flypaper up in my house. I set traps. They've got a bug zapper that cooks those little bastards until they're burnt to a crisp. And I will hunt them down if I have to. The second I so much as hear one, I can't think of anything else until I kill it. When I try to sit and relax, I feel it crawling on my skin. I see it out of the corner of my eye, darting around the room, damn near impossible to watch. Then there's a buzzing, That goddamn buzzing. It bothers me. You have no idea how much it bothers me. And I just can't articulate into words just how much I fucking loathe houseflies. And now, well, now I've got a whole new reason to hate them. I moved to Hamilton to go to college about a year ago and I've been renting a basement apartment while I go to school. I don't go out much, not that I have the time, and I'm not really interested in it. I just focus on my work, both for school and for my actual job. When I'm not dealing with those, I try to help out my landlord, Mr. Arnold. He's an older guy, pushing 70 and starting to go blind. He was nice enough to rent to me dirt cheap, so I guess it's my way of paying him back. He doesn't really bother me much, even though I told him it's no trouble. He's stubborn that way. I guess I get it. My grandma was the same way. Usually when I'm studying, he's quietly watching TV upstairs, and I can barely hear him. I don't mind it. It's good white noise, and I find that it helps me concentrate. That said, when I heard that familiar buzz of a Fucking fly somewhere in my apartment the other day. It completely ruined my concentration. I know I shouldn't get so mad about it, but I can't help myself. I'm busy. I shouldn't have to put up with some brainless insect disturbing my peace and quiet so it can zoom past my face a dozen times because it likes the glow from my screen. The moment I heard that buzzing, I paused. It was like nails on a goddamn chalkboard. I looked up from my laptop, scanning around for it. I didn't see any sign of it, but I heard it, coming closer and then fading away. Judging by how loud it was, I got the feeling that this was a big sucker, too. Great. As I heard that buzzing getting closer again, I decided that I wasn't going to tolerate this. I got up and went looking for my bug zapper. This fly had just chosen death, and I would be its instrument. I scanned the ceiling, looking for that telltale black dot darting past my field of vision, and I saw nothing. But I heard it. God damn it, I fucking heard it. I tried to follow the sound, but it was hard. From the corner of my eye, I thought I saw movement a few times but it was probably just my imagination. Maybe. Ugh. Goddamn flies. That buzzing cost me the next half hour or so, as I tried to follow it around my apartment, looking for its source. I think I saw the bastard in question when he went past one of the lamps by my TV, but I couldn't be completely sure. Eventually, I had to give up. I had a paper that wasn't going to finish itself, And letting myself get worked up over a stupid insect wasn't worth the time. I'd set flypaper up earlier to catch a previous invader, and that was still hanging. I figured that it would do the work for me. It didn't stop the buzzing, but I made myself ignore it. I grabbed my headphones, put on some white noise, and focused on more important matters. And that did the trick for the time being. By the time I'd reached an acceptable milestone on my paper, my eyes were feeling pretty heavy. Part of me wanted to press on so I could just finish it and have some time to relax the next day. A common sense told me to go to bed. I unplugged my headphones and put them back in place. Plugged my laptop back in and put that back on my coffee table. And put my lap desk back in its spot between the sofa and the coffee table. Then I decided it was time to get ready for bed. I must have been more tired than I'd thought because I passed out without even reading some of my book. Maybe I was working myself too hard but with finals coming up, I couldn't afford not to. I didn't sleep so well that night. Maybe it was just the stress but I remember having some weird dreams. I remember that in my dream, I was lying in my bed and staring at my bedroom door. I know there was light beyond it But it wasn't the light I was focused on, it was the shadow in front of it. It was a man, standing quietly in my doorway. No, not quietly. He was trying to say something, he was trying to speak, but I don't remember what he was saying. Maybe it was just completely unintelligible, I don't recall. I remember that I got up to say something to him, and that as I got closer, I recognized the man in my bedroom door. It was Mr. Arnold. I remember that he was staring at me with wide, almost tearful eyes. He opened his mouth to speak, and as he did, I saw that something was inside his mouth. Something pale and shifting. Writhing. Something that made me scream. And then the only sound I heard was a goddamn buzzing from that fucking fly. I woke up in a cold sweat. My hands felt pale and shaky. A glance at the clock confirmed that it was only five in the morning. I hadn't gotten much sleep, and I didn't feel rested, but I had an 8 a.m. class, too. I wasn't sure I trusted myself to go back to sleep, and I absolutely wasn't going to skip it. Not so close to the end of the semester. I smoothed down my hair and glanced over towards my bedroom door. It hung open. That didn't bother me. I usually left it open to allow air to circulate through the room better. It got stuffy when I left the door closed. I sweat more, and I didn't like the smell. Since going back to sleep wasn't an option, I figured that I could probably do something else instead. I figured that maybe watching some TV would pass the time. So I shuffled out into the living room and checked through Netflix to see what was available. I was barely ten goddamn minutes into scrolling through the titles when I heard it. That fucking buzzing. Maybe I was just tired, and that rubbed me the wrong way too much. But hearing that stupid fly racing over my head set me off. I snatched up my bug sapper again, and got up, looking for it. I turned on the lights, hoping I could see it. And it was then that I had my first confirmed sighting. Oh, it was a big one, all right. Big enough that I had no idea how I'd ever missed it before. But I guess they're good at being hard to spot sometimes, aren't they? It was circling around my kitchen area, and when I went after it, I saw it darting off down the hall towards the storage room. I don't usually go into the storage room. That's where Mr. Arnold keeps a lot of his old junk although there's a freezer and access to the breakers, furnace, and water heater back there too. The room was dark, and I could see old boxes of forgotten books and pictures stacked neatly to allow a path through the clutter. I knew there was a light switch close to the door somewhere, but I couldn't quite remember where. I almost left that fucking fly alone, but I could hear the buzz of its wings from inside there and I knew I had to finish what I started. I fumbled around for the light switch and stormed inside, bug zapper at the ready, and eyes surveying every stray box that loomed around me. I could still hear the buzzing. faint, But there. It was far enough away that I couldn't tell where it was, but close enough that I could hear it. The problem was, it was difficult to tell exactly which direction it was coming from. I wandered deeper into Mr. Arnold's storage room, feeling a little bit like I was trespassing, but I needed to find that fly. I needed to kill it, if for no other reason than it would finally silence that primal part of my brain that hated it with such a passion. I could hear that buzzing, a little louder this time, and clearly coming from my left. I followed it. There was an open door that led into a tiny room, with the water heater and furnace. I heard that buzzing again, telling me that that was where that little asshole was hiding. There you are. Bug zapper at the ready. I headed into the back room and found the string that turned on the single bulb that illuminated it. I half expected to see that ugly fat fly sitting on something and rubbing its dirty little front legs together. Instead, I saw Nothing. Then the lights went out. Complete darkness swallowed me. And if I was a two-year-old, maybe that might have scared me. Maybe. Instead, I just backed out of that room and glanced back the way I came to see if there was still light in the hall. There was. Maybe it was a breaker issue. In that case, I could just reset them. Mr. Arnold had showed me how. I just needed to remember where the breaker panel was amongst all this clutter. I wished I had my phone to offer up some light, as I squinted in what little brightness came in from the hall, hoping that maybe I'd see something. No luck. I'd need to go back. When I looked back towards the hall again, though, I felt my heart skip a beat in my chest. Just a little. There was the figure of a man standing at the end of the hallway. In my apartment, it was hard to make out any features. He was just a silhouette, but he stood absolutely still. No movement. I'm not even sure if he was breathing. Mr. Arnold? No response. But who else could it have been? I'm sorry if I woke you. I wasn't rooting around in your things, I promise. I was just looking for this fly. I rounded one of the boxes on my way out of the room. And, as I did, I saw that the hall was empty. I didn't hear the sound of anyone going up the stairs. They usually creaked. Whoever was there a moment ago, they were gone now. Mr. Arnold? I made my way back down the hall. Still no reply. Nothing but silence. As I stepped back into my apartment... I didn't see a single thing out of place. No sign of anyone in my living space, least of all Mr. Arnold. Behind me, I heard that fucking buzzing noise, reminding me that the fly was still there. But I tried to ignore it. I just got my phone, reset the breakers, and flopped onto the couch to try to get a bit more rest before class started. I didn't succeed. A couple of hours later, I was gearing up to try and get ready for the day. I hoped that a shower and doing my makeup might make me feel a little more alive. I was half right. I noticed the acne while I was putting on my foundation. Patchy bumps on my forehead and cheeks. When had those shown up? It was probably just stress. I couldn't help but feeling them itching a little, and I tried to ignore them as I covered them up. I used to get bad cystic acne when I was younger, so this was probably just the same old shit. Great. Just what I needed. I didn't have time to dwell on it, since I was already a little late for class. So I packed up my things and headed out the door. I grabbed breakfast and coffee at a Tim Hortons on the way there. Class was no less stressful than usual. I was tired tired so I wasn't able to focus as much as I'd have liked to. I still tried to take notes and recorded the lecture for later review anyway. After my first class, the itching of the acne on my face was really starting to bother me. I'd need to pick up something to help me deal with it. I don't remember it ever itching that bad before. But it had been a few years since I'd had to deal with it. The thought did cross my mind that maybe I'd eaten something I shouldn't have. Maybe it was an allergy or something. But thinking back over my recent diet, nothing stood out as strange. It probably was just the stress. And I was overthinking everything. It wouldn't be the first time that finals had pushed me a little too hard. But it would be over soon. Crunch time sucks, but it's temporary. I just needed to power through. Then I could relax. I just needed to make it a couple more weeks. I was exhausted when I got back home, but there was still work that needed to be done. I needed to finish my paper, and I wasn't going to let myself go to bed until it was done. As I parked my car in Mr. Arnold's driveway and went through the side door into my basement apartment, my mind was more on that frantic itching in my face than anything else, though. It had gotten worse throughout the day. A hot shower sounded irresistible. And I was hoping it would help wake me back up so I could finish my work. Maybe some dinner was in order as well. I'd skipped lunch to work on a different project, and that was starting to catch up to me. I wouldn't have minded something with a little bit of spice to it. Maybe something from that Thai place up the road. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Green curry, a shower, and then work. I set my laptop down on the coffee table and plugged it in to charge. In the back of my mind, I listened for the telltale buzzing of that stupid fucking fly. But everything was quiet. Maybe it had finally gotten stuck on some of the paper I'd put up. If so, then good riddance. Maybe I could finally finish my work in peace. I headed up the stairs toward Mr. Arnold's part of the house and knocked on the doorframe to make myself known. If I was going to get dinner... I might as well ask if he wanted some, too. He lived off a diet of canned soup and mashed potatoes. I'd been gradually expanding his palate ever since I started living in his basement. Besides, he seemed to like the company for dinner. Hello? Mr. Arnold? There was no response. Strange. I was sure I'd seen his car in the driveway. He had to have been home. Mr. Arnold? It's Ashley. Still nothing, except for the faint sound of buzzing that seemed to come from nowhere at all. Immediately, I tensed up. So, my friend the fly hadn't died after all. That was a shame. From the corner of my eye, I saw it buzzing around his kitchen. It landed on the window to the back door, and it waited. I saw my opportunity. I spotted a newspaper that Mr. Arnold had left nearby. Without thinking, I snatched it up and rolled it tight before creeping into the kitchen. The fly buzzed loudly as it slammed itself against the window, desperately looking for a way out. This was the first time I got a good look at it, and it was really massive. It was pure black with shiny eyes, and easily almost as long as my thumb... I don't recall the last time I ever saw one quite that big. I expected it to take off, so it could continue tormenting me the moment I set foot in the kitchen, but it didn't. It just kept walking along the glass of the door, rubbing its disgusting front legs together as it tried to find a way out. I swung the newspaper, and the fly disappeared beneath it with a sudden thump. I felt a pang of elation in my chest. I got him! I pulled the newspaper back and was greeted with the sight of that massive fly crushed against the window. Greenish guts were smeared against the glass and the newspaper, but the fly was dead. I teach you to mess with me. I collected the parts of the newspaper that were now covered in guts and threw them out. I used a paper towel to clean the mess off the window and tossed it all into the garbage before washing my hands. As I did, I heard the sound of movement in one of the rooms down the hall. I paused and looked up, remembering what I'd come upstairs to do. Mr. Arnold? I wondered if he'd been sleeping. Maybe my little victory over that stupid housefly had woken him up. I made my way down the hall carefully just in case he was in his room. His bedroom door was closed, but the door to his office was open. Maybe he was in there. Sorry about the noise. I just saw a fly, and I... As I stepped into the doorway, my heart skipped a beat as I was greeted by the sight of Mr. Arnold standing in the center of the room. His back was to me, and his hands were at his sides. He faced an empty wall, and there was something unnatural about his stiff posture. Mr. Arnold? Still no response, but I could have sworn I heard a slight whimper escape him. I noticed at that moment that his hands were twitching. His fingers jerked violently, curling and uncurling slightly. His shoulders shook as his body trembled. It was around that time that I also noticed the puddle of urine... Down around his bare feet. The smell was faint. But there. Oh God. What was happening to him? Was he having some sort of stroke? Mr. Arnold? I reached into my pocket for my cell phone to call 911 as I approached him. But when I got closer, when I saw what was on his face, all I could do was scream. I could barely recognize any of his facial features under the layer of writhing, pale maggots that now covered it. The most I could see was some of his beard, jutting out from the sea of quivering, beasting bugs. I don't even know if he had much of a face left at that point. I shrieked and stumbled backwards, dropping my phone as I did. And for the first time, Mr. Arnold reacted to me. His head turned slightly, following the noises I made. And though I could barely see it amongst the swarm of maggots that devoured him, I knew that his mouth had opened in a silent scream. His mouth... Oh, God. The memory of it turns my stomach. White, writhing bodies all the way down, filling his throat. Over his tongue, inside his cheeks. I could only see his teeth left exposed, and even those seemed too large as if Mr. Arnold's gums around them had been... had been eaten away. A low, raspy voice escaped him. A wet, guttural sound that only vaguely sounded like words. But I don't know if there was anything I could have done for Mr. Arnold at that point. I don't think there was. His hands twitched as he turned towards me. The maggots that chaotically swarmed his face writhed and pulsated as they feasted on him. And the mere sight of them made me sick to my stomach. I couldn't stand there. Couldn't watch. Couldn't even look at him. All I could do was stumble out of that room and back into the hall, panting and hyperventilating in a blind panic as I ran mindlessly for the door. I wish I could say that I thought about how to help him. But I didn't. I couldn't. I burst out of that house and onto the street, my heart still racing a mile a minute. The angry itching of the acne on my face kept bothering me, and I mindlessly scratched at it as I stepped onto the sidewalk, trying to gather up my thoughts through the fog of panic that had beset them. That was around the time I noticed the blood on my fingers. Something new stealing away my thoughts. Blood? From where? The itch on my face persisted and I scratched at it again, only to come away with more blood, a deeper red than before. That itch started to feel more like a tickle, and I felt a growing sickness returning to my stomach. I could feel the itchy skin of my face splitting. I could feel the tickle of new life there, new and hungry life. Clutching my hands to my face... I frantically brushed at it and screamed as I saw the bloody, pale things that clung to my skin. The newborn maggots were writhing, just like they had when they were on Mr. Arnold's face. And I could feel more of them being born. I started screaming. I don't remember anything else after that. The doctor says that the scarring on my face is going to be permanent. He suggested plastic surgery, if I want to try and fix it. Maybe it's worth looking into. I can't look at those grooves in my face without feeling my stomach churn. Even as the flesh has started to heal, the memory of what caused them is still fresh in my mind. Even with the maggots gone, I can't help but still feel them squirming and writhing as they chew their way out of my flesh. As for Mr. Arnold, there was nothing the EMTs could do for him. They didn't tell me just how bad he'd been when they'd found him. I think it's better if I don't know. A neighbor called 911 after I started screaming. And I'm told that I was found nearby, clawing at my face and unresponsive. I don't remember that. I think my mind has just repressed it. I'm grateful for that much. Every night, I dream of maggots now, covering Mr. Arnold's face, eating their way out of my own. Some nights, I wonder about that dream I had the night before. Did he come to me for help? Did I shut that out of my mind, too? I don't remember, and that bothers me. I'm in my hospital bed now, recovering from everything. My professors are going to let me write my finals at a later date, when I'm out of the hospital. Some part of me hates that, but I need the rest right now. I'd be sleeping if I could, but every time I try to doze, the nightmares come back. Even if I could push past them, I can hear the buzzing of a fly somewhere in my room. I don't know where it is. It hasn't gotten close to me yet, but I know it's there. The nurses can't hear it, but I can, and I have to kill it.
1: final tale. We delve into a very popular form of audio which many people are obsessed with. ASMR. Usually found in videos with people who whisper and make soft noises. Licking, mouth smacking, fingernails caressing fabric. There are so many varieties of ASMR to trigger the so-called brain massage effect. But in this tale, shared with us by author Thomas E. Staples, We meet a woman who is addicted to ASMR videos and needs them to fall asleep at night. She even subscribes to bonus content from her favorite ASMR creator and finds she gets much more than she bargained for. Performing this tale are Erica Sanderson, Jessica McAvoy, Aaron Lillis, Andy Cresswell, and Penny Scott Andrews. So as long as you can handle all these intense sounds, why not listen with headphones and turn up the volume? After all, don't we all deserve some deep ear attention?
5: I found myself heavily addicted to watching videos of people whispering every night just so that I could get some bloody sleep. I thought the whole thing was a bit silly at first, but after the first night of falling asleep to a YouTube video wherein a girl in her early 20s, a girl my age, tapped on a glass mug for two solid hours whilst whispering about her day, I never went back. I get anxious very easily, you see, and they helped soothe that in the evening when my brain shot into overdrive. My nights were incomplete without those whispers and tappings and whatever else. I had no chance of dozing off without them once I'd gotten hooked. And if I never dozed off, I'd never focus on work the following morning either. I worked in a call centre that ran intrusive television and computer surveys that typically targeted the elderly. And while focus wasn't a requirement, having some would still make the whole thing a tad less miserable regardless. Bouncing back and forth between the creators of those whispering videos, ASMR as it was always called, which stands for... Something. I never found one that made my spine tingle quite like the very first girl I'd watched. After all, the purpose of ASMR was to feel those relaxing tingles, like the ones you sometimes get when you're having your eyes tested or your ears cleaned. There was something about the intimate combination of video and audio Balance to such perfection that you could feel a comforting tingle from the top of your skull to the base of your spine. And let me tell you, when they got that balance just right, there was no feeling quite like it. The girl I always watched went by the username TingleCutieASMR, and she had 100,000 other subscribers, so still small fish compared to a lot of the content out there. She also had a feature on her personal website that allowed superfans to donate their money to her every month for some extra-exclusive content. If you really forked over the cash, you could get a video addressed directly to you, where the tingle cutie herself would whisper your name whilst tapping on the microphone. But it was expensive. $30 a month expensive, and more so if you wanted to request any extra content on top of that. That wasn't something I could ever afford, though. Nor would I ever want to go down that route in the first place. It just wasn't for me. I sent the payment via PayPal for safety reasons, which accepted the transaction without much in the way of fuss. I justified the purchase to myself by saying that, for over a year before setting up my subscription, I'd always seen this girl's face. She was the last person I saw and heard every single night, and she didn't even know I existed. We didn't know each other at all, and perhaps that's how it was supposed to stay. I'd finally taken the plunge after a rough day at work. I'd been on the phone to one of the more coherent pensioners to ask her about her computer she had in her home, and I needed some results after failing to get any for the past three weeks. Mr. Davis was on my ass something fierce, to put it lightly. Good afternoon, madam. I sat upright in my chair in my little red cubicle, hearing others typing away and nattering around me. Could I please take a moment of your time to ask you about your current personal computer's operating system? No, no, thank you. Fantastic. It'll just take a moment and... No, no, I don't want to answer your survey. Question one. Are you... The phone went dead as the tone rang straight down my ears. She'd hung up on me. Right. I slumped down in my chair. Fucking bitch. I was called into the boss's office right away and sent home for the rest of the week without pay on account of my poor operational conduct. It's not like she heard it. What's the big deal?
1: That's not the point, Becky. You clearly need some time away.
5: I was tempted to argue, but could always risk taking some time off work anyway, thanks to all the money I'd saved up. So I just let it be. I called my mother to let her know. She was delighted. Are you kidding me? How can you afford rent now? I've got it handled, Mum. Don't stress. I've saved a bunch. I've left you some bits and pieces on your worktop at home. I let myself in. Of course you did. I often regretted allowing her the only spare key. And you're always welcome to move back in with me if you can't afford... Bye, Mum. I slipped the phone back in my pocket and hopped on the next bus home. Back in the warm, I tossed a rawhide bone to my big black and grey Aussie shepherd, Winston, and slumped down on the sofa with my iPad in hand. I checked out all the exclusive content that had opened up to me. And as it turned out, there wasn't very much of it. At the time, there were six exclusive videos, including titles such as Deep Ear Attention, Mega Tingles for Professional Tinglers Only, Mic Brushing, Scratching, Cupping and Tapping, and my personal favourite, You Will Melt, Bubblegum Chewing Extravaganza. I watched that one four times in a row to help me settle down, and didn't even leave my room to get dinner until my stomach gurgled up a storm. That night, though, once I'd made it through every new video, I found myself drifting back to her main channel for more of my tingle fix when I had an email pop up on my phone. I checked it. It was from her. "'Hey, my lovely. Thank you so much for subbing,' it read. "'Just so you're aware, your support means the world to me, "'and because you've subscribed at such a high tier, "'you're welcome to message me via my WhatsApp below.'" Below that was, indeed, a link to her profile. A burner, no doubt, as there were almost definitely endless creeps out there ready to bombard her with dick pics. In all honesty, I'd forgotten the messaging thing was even one of the perks when I signed up for it. So I sat on it for a while and decided I might as well shoot one her way. Nothing fancy. Hi! I'm a new sub. I wanted to say that I love your videos so much. You help me sleep every night. Sorry if that's weird. Kind regards, Becky. That was stupid. Nobody puts kind regards at the end of a text message, and I was far too heavy on the exclamation points to be seen as uncreepy too. Not that it mattered in the first place. She'd never respond to me. She wrote back less than three minutes later. Thank you, Becky, it said. Sorry the extra content is a bit thin on the ground right now. I'm still getting the whole thing set up. It's like she read my mind. And I wrote back to say as much. I suppose I'll be sleeping without your voice for once, haha. <laughs> I wrote. Oh well, should probably get used to that sort of thing. The gap between that message and any further correspondence from her was agony. I laid on my side, my phone tightly gripped in my hand, as I just stared at the little text bubble, praying it'd move again. A new message. Oh, I'm sorry, Becky, it read. To make it up to you, I've set my studio up. I could call you and give you a live video instead. I'd love that, I replied. Right now? She didn't respond with a text, but with a video call instead. Bile filled my stomach then, and I felt hot blood shoot into my face, turning it bright pink. I'd seen this girl every night for a year and she'd not seen so much as a glimpse of my hideous form. I hesitated a little, but after some readjusting of my ratty blonde hair, I answered it. The video popped into view, and the feeling that hit me was a confusing one. She'd set the call up in such a way that it was framed like all of her other videos, with a faint purple and blue hue hovering over her immaculate bedroom, and two fancy microphones on either side of the frame. Her face was smack dab in the center, too, and looked as incredible as she always did brunette hair that flowed down and out of frame, and flawless makeup skills that I could only dream of achieving someday, like her perfectly symmetrical eyeliner to complement her light grey eyes. She leaned towards the microphone on the left. Hey. She then leaned to the right. My lovelies. It was how she started every video. I practically mimed it back to her as she did it. You look wonderful this evening. She lightly scratched one of the microphones with her fingernails, smiling at me. My own name made me jolt in the bed But when she said it over and over again Bouncing back and forth between the two microphones I had no choice but to feel relaxed Calmed The last thing I remember hearing her whisper as I drifted off to sleep Was that she hoped I had pleasant dreams And you know what? I sure did I woke up the next morning with my headphones wrapped around my throat, as they often were, and my phone face down on the floor, which it often was. Having gadgets in bed was always a mistake when the morning came. But as I stretched my arm out to reach my phone off the floor and bring it to me, I checked it to find one missed message from about five in the morning. It was from her again. You look so cute when you're sleeping it said and was somehow nowhere near as creepy as that message would have been from anyone else I knew without having to rush my ass to work for 9am I took time to make myself a coffee pet Winston on his fat head and texted the girl back I didn't even know her real name and it only just hit me then thank you so much for last night I said I slept like a baby Thirty seconds went by. She responded. You certainly did, she wrote back. Until you dropped your phone, that is. I felt slightly uncomfortable then. But only slightly. How long had she been watching me after I dozed off? I tossed my phone onto my kitchen table so I didn't feel compelled to answer that question only for it to start vibrating like crazy the second I stepped away from it. I rushed back over and picked it up. She was calling me. So, more hesitantly this time, I answered it. Hey. She was in a different location this time. Perhaps her living room.
3: How are you this morning, Becky?
5: She sounded nothing like I was expecting her to sound. That seems like crazy talk, but when you only hear someone whisper, it comes as a shock to the system when they start talking normally. Her voice was much deeper and much older sounding than I was prepared for. Truth be told, I was slightly disappointed by it. She also looked shattered, like she hadn't slept all night, which made me shiver. I'm good, thank you. Yourself? Great.
2: I was
8: wondering if you'd need some company tonight.
5: Oh, um, yeah, we can do that. I tend to pop into bed about midnight, so... Sometime around then? She nodded. I can do that. It's so nice to finally meet one of my viewers.
8: Well... Not meet, obviously, as we haven't physically met yet. But you know what I mean.
5: Yeah, right. So, listen. I flicked my eyes towards my snoozing dog. I need to take my dog for a walk, so I won't be around until later. (laughs) So annoying, but what can you do, eh? Oh. Her smile (laughs) faded but she still giggled anyway okay (laughs) that's fine I guess how much later do you reckon er I don't know right now sorry I'm just busy right now and I have work soon as well oh right where do you work well
3: sorry that's an intrusive question Anyway, I'll chat to you later, my lovely.
8: Bye.
5: She hung up, and I looked at my dog as he stared back at me, seeming utterly miserable about the concept of a walk, which I, of course, wasn't going to take him on. He smacked his chops and sunk his head back into his dark blue pillow, and I checked all the doors were locked before heading upstairs and sealing myself in my room. I didn't come down until dinner time when I'd managed to convince myself that the woman that had taken somewhat of a liking to me was just simply that, a friendly young woman. She was a little bit intrusive, sure, but having shared one-sided intimate moments through our screens, I felt that I'd had access to her for so long that she deserved some access to me. Whilst cooking dinner, southern fried chicken with some potato waffles and pickled onions I fished right out of the jar my mother gave me, I let Winston out for a snoop around the garden and a wee... He was getting on a bit, and he'd often take his sweet time coming back in, so I left him out there whilst I ate at the kitchen table. I checked my phone regularly, expecting a message from my boss asking me to come back to work because all the other employees sucked arse. But I didn't get one. I expected a message from my whisper friend, but didn't get one of those either. And I expected my dumb dog to come in when I called him. Winston! I yelled, standing on the patio at the back of my house. Winston, come in, you dopey prat! But he didn't. Not a problem. Winston went for a walk around the neighbourhood all the time, as it was only a small row of houses surrounded by the flat English countryside, and he'd always return when he realised that he couldn't open the tin of dog food on his own. So I left the sliding door open if only a crack, and settled back down on the sofa in the living room with my iPad in hand. I popped my headphones in and fired up a video whilst I waited for Winston to return. Positive Affirmations You Are Enough by Tingle QT ASMR. A true classic. Almost a year old, too. I flicked it on. Oh. <sighs> She ran her fingers down the microphone.
8: My lovelies.
5: I laid across the sofa, in full view of any passers-by through my living room window, and smiled at my iPad screen. She smiled back at me.
8: You are enough. You are safe. You
5: are okay. She'd tap the camera lens, another personal favourite trigger of mine, and whispered gently into the right ear. You're okay. You're okay. I had a quick nap then, only for an hour or so, until I jolted awake again. The sun had since vanished from the sky, so I drew my living room curtains and wandered around the house in search of Winston. Winston! The back door was open a lot further than it had been before I went for a snooze, and as Winston tended to throw the door wide open by slamming his head into it whilst coming back inside, I'd figured he'd got bored and returned home by himself. But I couldn't find him. I searched everywhere. The living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, my bedroom. Even my tiny garden with the rickety wooden fences that he always snuck out through. He was nowhere. Well, he was somewhere, but that somewhere wasn't here, so he might as well have been nowhere. I looked at the back door, how far open it had been left, and thought about how it could have gotten that way. Wind, probably... I thought at the time. Yeah, probably just the wind. It was a completely still night without so much as a breeze. I locked it up tight, triple-checking that it wouldn't budge, and shot a message to my neighbour Teresa about finding my missing dog. She was a sweet old lady, and had popped in to look after Winston from time to time whenever I needed to stay at work late. I knew she could be trusted to keep me in the loop. He'd come back eventually. He always did. But the thought of him being alone, out in the cold no less, made me feel like shit. My phone pinged with a new alert. It was the girl. I opened it up and elected to ignore the message. Just one asking me if I was okay. As I had other stuff on my mind. Then a minute passed, and she followed it up with another one. I know you've read this, haha, it said. Still on for tonight. God damn it! It's fucking red receipts. Just a bit stressed out right now, I replied, stinking upstairs to my bedroom. What's up? She wrote back. Need some company? It doesn't matter. I don't think a video call will help right now. Sorry. I threw my phone down on my bedside cabinet. It pinged again. Not a video call, silly. Ha ha. It read. In person. My blood turned to sludge I was sat on my bed with my legs crossed and couldn't find the energy to move from that position like my body had locked up and needed thawing out It took me almost 30 minutes before I could even flex my fingers again You're fine It's fine I said to myself my own positive affirmations She doesn't know where you live It's okay Maybe some other time. I wrote back, after a sea of question marks from her every couple of minutes. I'm not home right now. Sure you are, she replied. I can see your lights on, ha <laughs> ha If my blood was sludge from the first message, it was bloody solid now. My bedroom light was on, and could no doubt be seen from the outside through the small gaps in the curtain rings. That was just a guess, I said to myself. Just a guess. Then she tried to video call me. I threw myself off the bed, banged my chin on the carpet, and pulled the duvet down on top of me before answering the call. I was barely visible in the dark little portion of screen dedicated to my camera feed so it should have thrown her off the scent. She also was in the dark. The dark of the night sky.
8: Hey, Becky, my lovely. Wanna let me in?
5: It was as if she didn't realise what she was doing was absurd, and, for me, extremely concerning. She didn't get it at all. I'm not home right now. I'm with my parents. I must have, um left the light on you see she frowned and spun herself around so her back was facing the pale front door of the house my house with the lights creeping through the upstairs window oh
8: that sucks is anyone home
5: she wrapped her fist against the door four quick knocks which I heard both through the phone speakers and from downstairs overlapping one another I just had to pray that she didn't hear it come through my end as well. No, no, not right now. Uh, how did you find my house? Oh, Becky. She rolled her eyes.
8: Your address comes through with your payment when you PayPal it. I know where all my super fans live.
4: Oh, fuck.
8: Why are you in the dark, my lovely?
5: I want to see your face. Oh no, that's okay. You really don't. I'm just very ugly, honestly. Especially today.
2: Nonsense.
5: She walked away from my front door and under the street lamp across the road. Perhaps so I could see her better.
3: I thought you looked very cute earlier,
5: Becky. I said nothing back to her. I didn't know what to say. I just hoped when she said earlier that she meant last night.
1: Hold on, I'll show you.
2: I got a photo and everything.
5: She tapped on the screen a couple of times. And after my phone buzzed in my hands... I opened the new message that had come from her to find a photo attached in the Messenger app. Earlier, as I soon learned, did not mean last night. It was a photo of me napping on the sofa, with my tablet balanced across my lap, and a video of her whispering playing on it. I was fast asleep by the looks of it, and judging by the framing of the photo, taken from above my head and containing my full body, She was inside my house when she took it. She had been mere inches away from me. She could have touched me. See? Look! I hung up and vomited my southern fried chicken straight into the toilet bowl. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I tossed my phone in a drawer on silent and left it there, checking periodically to see if Teresa had any Winston updates for me. Which she didn't. I also mentioned to her that someone had been sending me threatening messages, because they had, and asked that she keep an eye out for me. She asked if I needed any help and if she should call the police. But I asked her not to, clarifying that if she didn't hear from me at least once per day, then she should call them as soon as possible. I didn't even open the messages from the girl as I saw the notifications flood my screen. But I did get to see the first few words of each one.
8: Tried to call you. Everything okay? I... Good night, Becky. Worried about you. (laughs) Good morning, Becky. Are you home today? I'm sorry, that was creepy. Please call me. Are you home today?
5: It was creepy. Creepy as shit. And I had no intention of calling her. I tried to make myself breakfast, but I wasn't hungry. And when the time came, I tried to make myself lunch, but had the same problem. This went all the way up until the evening when dinner too passed me by. My arms were shaky and my brain pulsed against the back of my eyeballs as I could barely swallow down the paracetamol to ease it. I couldn't even watch the videos i paid for because her face and voice made me feel anything but relaxed. And hearing the whispers of others just wasn't the same. So I didn't sleep again. It was 4am and my iPad had gotten an alert. I checked it. It was a pop-up for a new YouTube video, one uploaded by none other than Tingle Cutie ASMR, her typical Saturday upload. Everything about it was just like any other upload she'd made. The title, the description, and even the video itself, because, despite my better judgment, I couldn't help but watch it. Less for relaxation, but more for morbid curiosity. Hairbrushing and detangling for sensational tingles. It was one of the videos where her face wasn't the central piece, but rather she was behind the camera, and all you could see of her were her slender hands as she played with one prop or another to generate those much sought-after tingles. Hey. She fluttered her fingers above what looked like a black and grey pillow with fine yet fluffy hair.
8: My lovelies, in today's video, 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 I am going to be gently, 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 Brushing, brushing, brushing on here. I hope you enjoy, my lovelies.
5: For the next 30 minutes, that's all the video was. Brushing up and down this weird fluffy material. And I'm ashamed to admit that it was the most relaxed I'd been in 24 hours. She was so damn good at what she did. When the video neared the end, she lifted her fingers from the material and fluttered them near the microphone once more. Her typical outro, just like her typical intro, before the video would cut to black with a big splash screen on where viewers could go to support her further. Although I would perhaps encourage others not to do so. Untypically, though, this video didn't end right away. Instead, the camera jostled about as it was detached from its tripod, and the screen was soon filled with her shit-eating grin as she stared right at the lens right into me.
8: I'm so sorry that I startled you yesterday, Becky. I hope you can accept this as my apology.
5: Apology.
8: Apology.
5: She turned the camera back around and showed me what she'd been playing with for the entire video. It wasn't a pillow or rug with an unusual texture. It was Winston. Laid across our kitchen tiles, with blood pooled around his head as his tongue flopped down from his open mouth. And his hair was matted around his throat. His slit throat. The video ended. I didn't move. I couldn't. I thought about how I'd called Winston annoying and said he was the reason I couldn't stay the day before I thought about the open door the photo her turning up at my house she hadn't just turned up she'd been waiting there for me when I was ready when I'd finally snapped out of the panic attack her latest video had put me in I called the police The video was taken down by YouTube not long after it was uploaded, and Tingle Cutie's ASMR channel became permanently suspended not long after that. I took the information I had about her, images of her face and the videos that were exclusive to high-paying subscribers, and sent it all directly to the police. They asked me to explain ASMR to them and after having to reiterate time and time again that it was definitely not in any way a sex thing, I gave up and told them it was, just so that they'd drop it. They found out where the girl lived before the end of the day. Now, I very much lived in the middle of nowhere, with the closest town, a small market town called Bilham, about half a dozen miles from me, and as it turned out, that's where she lived or that's what they thought at least as she was long gone by the time they got there they smashed the door in from what I'd heard and searched every inch of the place finding the corpse of my dog decaying on the kitchen floor fruit flies picking at his drained eye sockets but not the one responsible for it she'd disappeared and as the days went by without hearing another word from her, the case was soon dropped. The house belonged to one Lauren McQueen, but they doubted that was actually her name, or even her house. It was a Sunday then, a couple of weeks later, and I was due back at work the next day. They'd offered me some extra time off after hearing what had happened, but I declined. I wanted to be out of the house as much as possible, at least until I could move somewhere safer, which was still looking like my mother's house after all. The fact that the girl had my address was hanging over my head everywhere I went, but as the police and Teresa had told me time and time again, I needed to push it out of my mind and move on as best as I could, that they were just a phone call away if I needed it. My parents knew too, and every night... My mother would text me to make sure I was managing. Everything okay? It would read. Are you home? I wrote back that yes, I was home, on my own, and safe. Even still, I couldn't shake that creeping feeling. I swore that someone was always watching me. Doors were open when I was certain I'd closed them and without the howls of the late Winston to warn me of intruders. I just assumed everyone within a mile of my house was an intruder. With work on the brain as I buried myself under the covers, struggling to sleep with the clock ticking over to midnight, I browsed through any and all ASMR content I could find out there, still looking for my fix. But nothing else worked for me. Ear scratching, kissing, eating, NSFW was one but I shut it off after less than 30 seconds. ASMR for women only started off strong, but lacked the visual element that I really needed. And three minutes to Tingle Town guaranteed confirmed to me that perhaps I'd finally worked up an immunity after all. With all hope lost in the dark, I felt the covers ruffle gently behind me and the warm breath on the back of my neck that sent those sharp tingles all the way down my spine my hair stood on end and my eyes snapped wide open as a pair of slender fingers fluttered beside my ear the text messages from my mother flashed across my vision as I felt the girl wrap her hands around my waist are you home? Sleep well, my lovely. The girl moved in close, squeezing my chest.
8: Just remember, I'm always here for you.
1: nightmares may be over but the darkness will linger on so long as you reside in the no sleep zone the no sleep podcast is presented by creative reason media the musical score was composed by brandon boone our production team is phil Mykolski, jeff clement and jesse cornett our creative content manager is olivia white Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for joining us in the No Sleep Zone and for being a supportive Season Pass member. This program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc.,